Hey everyone, welcome back to Around the Table, the podcast for redemption women from Tempe, Arizona. I'm Dina Rogers, and we just had a blast at our very first gather event for the season, fall 2019, and we are excited to be able to share these excerpts with you from our event. So here it is, and we hope that you enjoy it. Okay, so redemption women, we gather, immerse, and disciple. So we gather around tables, we gather in ID groups, we immerse ourselves in scripture, and this season we are studying Hebrews, and then we disciple one another towards Jesus. So the idea is to be a very diverse group of women. Don't look for a group that just looks like you. They're all diverse, and that's with the, that was with a purpose. Yeah, absolutely. We started a few years ago um, gathering around a table to read through the whole Bible. And what we found was that as we dug into scripture, um, we became a community because we were doing this thing together that really mattered to each of us. Um, I remember when I was, when my kids were young and I met with some friends from church and we would, some other women, we would try to get together every three months or so. And we served together at church, but when we got together, we mostly just celebrated each other's birthdays, and we went to a movie, and we went out to eat. And we didn't not talk about God on purpose, but we didn't talk about him on purpose either. And we've kind of found that when we flip that upside down and we meet to immerse ourselves in Scripture, not only do we get to know who God is better and find our place in his story, but we become a really um, close group of women and community forms because we start there. So we gather around tables, we immerse ourselves in scripture, and then that disciple each other towards Jesus. We just really help each other figure out what it looks like to walk in life like Jesus would. My very first ID group was from my RC, and it was perfect timing because our RC had just formed maybe a month before Redemption Women started for the very first time. So we had the ladies from our RC that we didn't know each other very well, and we got together and had an ID group, and it was such a great way to get our RC to kind of get to know each other better quicker, because when the women get together and form community, that just kind of, we bring the men along with us, so. And if you're wanting to start your own set group, the journal is your guide. It'll take you right through. You're gonna have things to work on at home, and then you'll come together and go through this. You'll ideally have done your discussion group questions ahead of time, and then you can discuss those with your ID group. If you have a crazy week and you can't do that, that's okay. Still come to your ID group, and you can still have great community time. Hebrews, looking to Jesus. That's the name of our journal, our Bible study journal for this season. Hebrews was is a letter. Some people maybe think it was part of a sermon. We don't know who the author was. The Bible doesn't say. Um, By the sound of the letter, it seems likely that this letter was written to first century Jewish Christians who are living in the Roman Empire under a lot of persecution, and they just really needed to persevere. A lot of them were leaving the faith, and this writer wanted to help them have hope and help them to persevere. Um, We will put a link onto our social media page, a really great overview of Hebrews. Do you guys ever look at the Bible Story Project videos on YouTube? So good. Um, There are Hebrews one I watched again the other day. 
amazing. So if you have a chance to look at that, even in your ID group, when you start, when you meet for the first week, if someone has a computer, you can pull it up. It'll give you a really great overview of the book. Um, I love to do puzzles. Usually at Christmas time, someone in my family buys a puzzle for me, and I, I actually don't, I, they must think, they must talk about it, because I don't hardly ever get two, but I always get one. So there must be some secret thing about, are you getting mom a puzzle this year? Um, but I love jigsaw puzzles. I've always loved things where little pieces fit together to make a whole. And when I get a puzzle, I'm not like a long puzzle person, like where you keep it on the card table for a month. I just have to like find two or three days when everybody can eat McDonald's or pizza and I don't have any commitments and I can just dump the pieces out on to the dining room table and focus and put the picture together. Um, I usually tell my husband as he's going upstairs, I'll be up in just a minute. I'm just going to do this one thing and he'll say, yeah, okay. I, I can't, I'm like, I get addicted to puzzles. But when I dump the puzzle out, I start to sort the pieces and, you know, put the edge pieces so I get the frame built and put the yellows over here and the blues and the reds. And they don't make too much sense to me. I know that they're going to make a, a, make a picture. But the longer I stare at the pieces, they start to become really distinct. And within the first day, I'm able to kind of distinguish between the greens. Oh, yeah, the, this is the green that goes in the grass. This is the green that goes in that dress over here. This is the bookshelf. And they start to look different because the more I look at them, the more they take on their own identity and I can see how they're going to be a part of this bigger picture. And I think that the writer of Hebrews must have been looking at the pieces of God's ancient stories so carefully and so closely for such a long time that when he began to look at the whole story of redemption, through the lens of the death and resurrection and life of Jesus, that he was able to pick up the pieces that he'd known from childhood and plug them into the story in a way that pulled the whole story together. I think he was able to say, oh, Melchizedek from Abraham, that guy? Ah, oh, it makes so much sense now when I, it helps me understand who Jesus is. Oh man, atoning sacrifices, the lambs, the goats, the bulls, I get it now. It makes so much more sense now that I see that Jesus was our atoning sacrifice. The old covenant, oh, no wonder he calls this the new covenant. It's a new and better way. And he was able to take the pieces of the old story and look at Jesus and make the whole story make sense. And that's one of the things that we hope happens for you as you go through this journal. One of the things that I think um, surprise, I don't know if it surprised me, that I loved more than anything about studying Hebrews over the last few months was the number of times the phrase draw near is in Hebrews. I think there's maybe six or seven verses. There's a page in here that will show you all of those. Um, but I started to think about the whole story and why drawing near matters so much. And I just want to go back a little bit tonight to Genesis and look at God's presence and how God's presence has such an overarching theme throughout God's redemptive story. 
when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, I think they had everything they needed for a great life. Um, I was wondering how long they were there. I think it's super easy for us to read Genesis 1 and 2 about creation and then to get, it, it takes like about three seconds to go from Genesis 2 to chapter 3 and then there's a serpent. And it seems like maybe they were there for like, I don't know, a day. But Adam wasn't even, Adam was 120 when his son was born. So what if they were there for like, I don't know, 80 or 100 years? Doing this cool, creative work with God, naming the animals, figuring out the flowers, eating the fruit, tending the trees. There was this relationship that they had with God in the garden that was so significant that the sound of God's voice was as familiar as the grass they walked on. God's presence was just normal. So on that day when they decided to eat the fruit from the forbidden tree, what really happened was they were enticed by their own appetites and decided that satisfying their own appetites and their own passions was a better idea than following the plan that God had laid out for them in the garden. And this is the interesting thing that happened, I think. Genesis 3.8, do we have that? So they, so they follow their own desire, they eat it, they, they let their passion be Lord instead of letting God be Lord. And this is what happens. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It wasn't like God said, oh, you're so bad, I'm kicking you out. I don't want you in my presence. When we make the choice, I think, to let our desires and our passions be Lord instead of letting God be Lord, it might satisfy for a second, but then we just feel dumb. We're embarrassed. There's guilt and there's shame. The reason Adam and Eve had to live, leave the garden was because there's this other tree, the tree of life, and you couldn't eat from the tree of life unless you were going to always live. And the consequence of sin was that you would die. And so they had to leave the garden of Eden, but not because God couldn't stand for sin to be in his presence. They had because of their shame and their guilt. And they had to leave the garden so they wouldn't eat from the tree of life. So God begins to tell this amazing redemptive story. And the redemptive story is to take care of the guilt and the shame and the sin so that he could bring us back into his presence. You guys, when you read through Hebrews, there's going to be so many things in there when it's about, that talk about how God draws us near, how he invites us to draw near to his throne, how he, how he invites us to be close in his presence. When I think about our culture, our society right now, we, we have a higher rate of loneliness, I saw on the news last week, than we've, than we've ever had ever. We're so alone. We, I, so many of my friends right now are dealing with really, really hard things. But as believers in Jesus, his heart is to draw us near. His heart is for us to be with him. And there's something about us becoming aware of his presence 
that makes, that lets us breathe a little easier, I think. So God begins to tell his redemptive story, and oh yeah, God's redemption story, his longing to restore all things, is rooted in his heart to draw us near. His provision to atone for sin is so that we can live again in his presence and within the sound of his voice. His whole, I think that for a while the church tried to make Christianity simple. So we took this sort of equation out of this beautiful story and we said, Christianity is this. We sin, the wages of sin is death, somebody has to die, Jesus died, so when we receive that gift of salvation, we can get to go to heaven when we die. And it's really easy. You can fit it like on a little piece of paper and give it to somebody if you want to. But if we look at the whole story, and I think we're going to do that as we study Hebrews, the reason for his atonement is so that he could draw us near. You can see it all throughout the Old Testament, but I just want to give you a couple of, um, couple of examples. God began to tell this redemption story, and he would talk to people that would listen. He went to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he said, you're going to be the, the grandparents, the great-grandparents, the father of this nation that I'm going to build, build called Israel. And when people look at Israel, they're going to be able to see me, and then they'll know that I'm the one true God. Because back then, the way you knew who a God was but was by um, the nation that it was connected to. The Canaanites had a jillion gods. They had gods for cats and clouds and dirt. And the Philistines had a whole bunch of gods. And um, the way that you knew who a god was, was it was the god of the Philistines or the god of whoever, the god of the Amalekites. God needed to be the god of someone. And he needed to be the only god of that group. So that when people looked at that group of people and saw the things God did, there wouldn't be any question about which god did it because they only had this one. And so he grows this nation of Israel so that he can show the whole world who he is. And when they became a huge group, he raised up this man named Moses. And Moses led Israel out of the bondage of Egypt and towards the promised land. After they got out, before they even got into the wilderness, Moses and God had this really interesting exchange Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with us, will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? God, the way you distinguish yourself is that you're with us. Every other God in every other nation, the gods are up there and the people down here are trying to please the God up there, but you're the God who goes with us. And God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. He said, yep, Moses, I'm going to go. The thing that's going to distinguish you from every other nation is that I'm a God who's with you. And so God started to give Israel all these concrete ways to know that God's presence was with them. If you're a teacher or a parent or you've read child development books, you know that the best way for kids to learn is to start with what's concrete and to move to what's abstract. And I, when I read this story that God wrote, I think, I think he did that. I think he gave us these really concrete ways to know his presence so that when Jesus came, we would be able to 
believe what he did, and, as, and with Jesus back in heaven, we can believe what happens without seeing it because we kind of can see it in the story. So God gave Moses and the Israelites this cloud in the day. You want to know that I'm with you? This cloud's going to stay with you. This pillar of fire is going to stay with you. This tent, this tabernacle that I'm going to have you build, sometimes called the tent of meeting, is because I'm going to meet you there. And they're able to be fully aware of God's presence as they traveled throughout the wilderness. He gave them these um, sacrifices. And this is the part that really makes me know that what God wants is for us to draw near. There's these atoning sacrifices like... When you sin, you need to offer the blood of animals. And so there's two art, there's a burnt offering, and there's these different kinds of sacrifices that are offered for sin, and you get your sins forgiven. Then there's grain offerings and drink offerings that really thank God and praise him and acknowledge who he is. And then there's this other offering called the fellowship offering or the shalom offering. And it's the only offering where the person who brings the animal gets part of it back to eat with their family, and you have to eat it on that day. I Googled that once to see, like, how long does it take to grill a goat on an altar? <laughs> Which there wasn't that. But um, there, there was a thing about roasting a goat on a spit, and it's like it takes all day. Like, it, like once their sins were forgiven and they had offered thanksgiving and honor to God, they brought the family to roast a goat, and then to sit down and have a picnic with God. And it was called a fellowship offering or an offering of shalom. The word for offering in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, korban, the root word for that means to approach or to draw near. Jewish rabbis actually taught that the purpose of the sacrificial system was to provide a way for Israel to draw near to God. Isn't that so cool? Like, yes, it was to get your sins forgiven, but the heart of God wanted to draw them near. It was so that we could live in his presence again and within the sound of his voice. When Jesus came, just before he died, he was talking to some people, and they're asking him about the kind of death he would die. And he said, and I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. He didn't even say, oh yeah, when I die on the cross tomorrow, I'll be able to forgive your bad stuff so that you can come to heaven when you die and that, so you can try to be really good. He said, I'm gonna just, I wanna draw you to myself. When you abide in me, I'll be the good in you. And so as I read through Hebrews, I was just thinking, God, I love how you started with this concrete story. how all of that concrete stuff helps us understand who you are and what you did for the purpose of drawing us near so that we can live again in your presence and within the sound of your voice like today. We actually get to do that. In the Old Testament, God distinguished himself by being near. When Jesus came, it was God with flesh on. It was God who had picnics on the beach. He put on flesh when... He was close back here, but he was really close when he came. And now through the Holy Spirit, he's, he can indwell all of us. Back in the Old Testament, he spoke to prophets who took his word and communicated it to the people. 
And then when he came, he just spoke in a regular voice so that we could understand the heart of God. Hebrews starts like this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he created the world. Hebrews is the story that takes all those things God said in the Old Testament and makes them clear, and then invites us in. What we really hope and pray for is that as we study Hebrews this season, not only will the connections become clear and fun because they're super fun. It's like the coolest puzzle you could ever, ever, ever put together. But as a result of that, that you would see the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus as an invitation to live close and to draw near. So what does that mean for us as we study Hebrews? couple things. First, we have to pay attention to Jesus. When you get your journal, you'll notice that every single week is some characteristic of who Jesus is for us. How do we look at the story through the lens of Jesus as our high priest or as the mediator of a new covenant or as our hope or the one who empowers us to, to live lives that he called us to? So you ha- we have to look for Jesus. Old Testament stories really matter, and there'll be lots of time to go back and read the Old Testament stories and make the connections. And can I just say that we didn't have any idea when we wrote this that our Sunday morning teachings were going to be about Exodus. So come to church, and if you're out of town, listen to the podcast, because there's really no better way to understand the new, to understand the connections that the writer of Hebrew makes without understanding what happened in the Old Testament. And it's, it's perfect. We, kind of, we, could, we, we sat around thinking, how are we going to do both? But God already figured that out. So just come and listen. It's a really fun. And Exodus is going to make a lot more sense. Hebrews will make a lot more sense if you understand Exodus. And then the therefores are there for a reason. I was so surprised I think there's like 13 chapters in Hebrews and about 25 or 26 times when it says therefore. So when you get your journal, you're going to see that every week we write out where the therefores are. And you really need to look at the verses before that and the surrounding verses and try to figure out what it's there for. The writer was super intentional about saying this is, this is the Old Testament story, therefore this is how you can understand better who Jesus is, or this is who God is, or this is how, as a believer, you ought to live your life. So we really, really have to pay attention to the therefores. Let's pray really quick, and then we will do some more questions. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way you put your story together. So cool that you knew so long ago when you did those first things that would just help us understand Jesus better and how you want to draw near to us in life. We want to be women that know your story and that rest in it and that walk with you so we don't have to do life by ourselves. Um, I pray that our ID group, in our ID groups, that you would help us to understand stuff. Um, They'd help us to become better friends and that you would remind us of how you walk with us in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you meet my friends, Aaron and Kirsten?
How about a round of applause? Our outward focus is the Foster Care Kinship and Adoption Ministry. All the words, all the words. (laughs) I had to peek. So tell us about who you are and your role with this ministry. So I'm Kirsten Traina, and um, I live in Tempe. I am the director of foster care and adoption at Redemption. I am an adoptive mom of a seven-year-old who's super tall at this point. Um, I'm married to Dave. We've been married 18 years, almost 18 years. And uh, we also own a restaurant in the East Valley called Liberty Market. So we kind of do a little bit of, kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah, you just have a little, yeah. little bit going on. If you on, want some good advice, all. marry a chef. It's very <laughs> nice. So this month is hospitality. Um, can I come over? <laughs> to the restaurant anytime you want. <laughs> and we'll give you a free meal on your birthday, too. <laughs> Um, I'm Erin Vakurvich. I am a mom of two boys, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. I had to think about that. Um, My uh, husband is a pastor here, um, and we've been married for 10 years, just like two weeks ago. So we made it. Um, (laughs) And we're from California originally. Uh, We've lived here for 10 years uh, in the desert. So yeah, you want to know what we do? Okay. So when we started this ministry, the thing that we noticed that you'll hear us say a lot is that we know families need, our kids need families in our state. That is a huge number of kids need families. Um, But it doesn't end there. We know that families need support. And so when we did this, we divided the ministry up into two equal parts, um, one focusing on mobilization and the other piece on support. And so Erin does the mobilization, so she's going to give you that little background. Um, So basically my role is to try and recruit um, all of you out there um, to get involved in foster care um, to some degree. So we partner with other churches to host orientations and that kind of gives you a little tidbit of um, how do you get involved? Do you want to be a foster parent, an adoptive parent? Um, Do you want to uh, volunteer your time? Um, as a system worker, do you want to just bring meals for families, babysitting? Um, because there's lots of needs. Um, and so we feel like the church uh, needs to be doing something, right? James 127 calls us to, I'm like, is that the right reference? <laughs> I should know that. Um, but it, care, it tells us to care for the orphans, right? For the vulnerable, really. Um, and that can mean a lot of things in foster care um, and adoption. So Um, That is my main role, and then um, also to uh, partner with other churches and state resources, and we even uh, work together internally with the different congregations to bring trainings, just to bring um, that awareness of what are we really dealing with when um, we're bringing these kiddos into our home who come from really hard places. Um, And yes, it's really good to love them, but we also need to understand their background and their stories so that we can serve them better um, and with dignity. So that's, that's my role. And then I get the support role. So that support piece is Aaron works individually, like works with all the congregations and they come together for trainings and that sort of thing as a collaborative group. But then we do break up individual congregations to support the ministries that are in them. And one of the reasons for that is each of the redemption churches is very different from each other. They focus on different areas. Um, we have some that work more on prevention. We have some that work on intervention. We have kinship 
congregations. Um, and we do a support group uh, at those congregations that are ready for that to just come alongside the parents. Um, it's really nice to sit in a room and to share the things that we share and be like, oh, you get it. Because if we shared some of the things with you guys that we talk about in our support groups, you'd go like, that's not really true. And it's like, well, yeah, that was last night. Um, and so just getting in that room and talking about that with each other has been really, really helpful. Um, we also work, uh, support each other by doing parents' night outs. And so we'll do um, just an evening where parents can drop their kids off and take three hours. They Hilariously, they'll come back and have met each other at Costco. Um, and they just do that without kids. A lot of our families have multiple kids, and taking seven kids to Costco sounds really awful and expensive. Um, going to Costco in general does. And so just being able to provide that for them as well. And then as Aaron talked about, one of the other things that we do is that when our parents drop off their kids, a lot of our kids do come with more difficult challenges. They come from backgrounds that have been really, really difficult. And so we really work within the congregations to provide trainings to the child care workers just to give them a better understanding of how to care for these kids because how you care for them um, can totally impact what their day and then what it's like when their parents pick them up. So we really try to work on that as well. So is this actually a redemption ministry and how is Tempe specifically involved? Uh, yes, it is a redemption ministry. So it's redemption, foster care and adoption. But then Tempe is really unique um, in that you guys have a great, you, we, all of us, have a great location here. And so we do multiple things. We will do, like Erin had said, the trainings, but we'll host those trainings here because it's so close to the freeways. And so we'll have other churches come. And I don't know if you guys have been in church long enough to know that churches don't typically collaborate well. Um, it's not something that's strong, but we have seen in the foster care and adoption world that has just become a strength of, of those churches and working together. And it's beautiful to see them come here. Um, we do the support groups here. Um, you guys are just really involved in this community in a way that um, is just really beautiful. So one question I have for you. So if you are around Redemption Tempe at all, you hear about foster care and adoption. But if you heard earlier, we said foster care, kinship, and adoption. So that caught my attention. What is this kinship all about? We wanted to make our email signature as long as possible. Oh, wow. Um, Kudos. We have the longest name in redemption. Well <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so kinship, uh, for those of you that don't know, basically means that you're uh, typically a family member or maybe a close friend who is taking a child in. Um, so this could be your grandchild, or this could be your cousin, or this could be your niece or your nephew, um, because your family member, for whatever reason, and there can be a variety of them, isn't able at the time to care for that child. So it becomes kind of more of a family situation, but the system is involved to some degree. And um, what we have found is that we have a lot of those families in our churches. Um, and we really wanted to make sure that they weren't overlooked um, because what I have found in the system, Kirsten and I have found, is that um, a lot of times the system even overlooks them. Um, so they recognize that they're with family and they kind of forget to provide all the other resources that are needed. And we didn't want to do that as the church. We wanted to recognize that um, these families are um, finding themselves in really hard places to um, love a daughter or a son who maybe is struggling with something really difficult. And they're also having to raise their grandchild now and maybe protect them um, from certain things that their, their daughter or son is dealing with. And so that just becomes really hard. Um, and it can be really lonely and it can be really messy. Um, 
And so we wanted to make sure that those families knew that they were included, um, that we saw them, um, and that we could, um, we wanted to come alongside them and encourage them in that as well. So. So question for you. How did you personally get involved? I'll go first. Um, I personally got involved um, separately in two different ways. As an adoptive mom, um, my husband and I just knew we were always going to adopt. It was just, my family is just, every other person is adopted and his brother and sister have adopted. So it's very normative in our family. It's, it's really not, that's just how God made our families. And so that was just going to be a piece of that. And so when we opened the restaurant, by the time that got up and running, we realized we probably, I was probably too old to have biological children. That just wasn't, that just wasn't probably going to be reality for us, but that was okay. And so we ended up um, filing paperwork and eight months later, um, got a, we were on vacation in Montana. And on a Thursday, found out about this little girl who uh, needed a, a set of parents. And that night, we were matched with her. And 18 hours later, we were in California picking her up. So we became parents very, very, we came back from our vacation with a baby, which the t-shirt and the baby was very surprising. Um, and so I was home with her. And when you have a newborn, um, I watched all the Olympics, every single event, and all of the news. And I didn't know what else to do, because that was what we did. And the news was coming out at that time with just the crisis in Arizona. And it was just there were just cases being thrown, literally thrown in the garbage. And so I texted Tyler Johnson, who's the senior pastor at Redemption, is a good friend of mine. And I just said, how can I pray for you? And how can I pray for this? And he, through a series of emails, said, well, you can pray for a director. And I said, okay, I will. And then he just sent me a text that said, do you want the job? And I was like, oh, no, no, I don't. Um, thank you, but I'll keep praying for someone else. And, um, and so that was, I told him I would pray about it. And I remember um, Jim Mullins taught, I know the dates, they're ingrained in my head. He taught the sermon January 5th of 2013, and it was, how do you know God's call for your life? Because I told Tyler I would tell him on my birthday the next day. And I went up to Jim and I said, I don't, I don't want to do, this is hard. There's nothing about this that isn't fraught with brokenness. And it's signing your name to just be broken every single day. And he just asked me if anything in my life had prepared me for it. And I just look back, everything God has done was this. And so I called Tyler and told him I would do it. So, so you had a really good answer to question number two that we looked at earlier today, yes. I suspect. <laughs> yes, totally. No, it was, and it was all God, just fingerprints, ev like not even like a thumbprint, but just like handprints everywhere. So that's me. Sorry. Oh, there you go. You're fine. <laughs> You're fine. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is very personal to me. I was actually ad adopted privately um, many moons ago, and we won't say how long ago. And so um, I grew up at a time where it wasn't always common to tell your children that they were adopted, um, but that was my story, and my parents were very faithful to that. And so... Um, it just was a reality from as much as I can remember. And um, I also always had an awareness um, for um, just vulnerable um, populations. Um, I remember as a little kid, like on the playground, like friends coming and telling me things that um, I wouldn't expect to hear. Um, or um, my dad was a veteran, and so I was always aware of the struggles that a lot of our veterans have. Um, I noticed um, those experiencing homelessness on the street. And so it was about high school that I'm like, oh, I can make a career out of this. Like, I can help these people. And so um, 
I knew what I wanted to do at about 16, and I've been in the nonprofit world um, pretty much my whole career life. Um, and that has led to a variety of experiences um, that have shaped so much about me personally. Um, and then about three years ago, I met Kirsten, um, which is a hilarious story, by the way, I can tell you later, over a computer. Um, and, um, and was so interested in what the church was doing here. And I had been so moved um, by coming to Redemption. And um, if you guys have been here long enough when we used to do First Wednesdays and see how we engaged in the broken parts of our world and that the church was really thinking through how we do that well with the gospel lived out was moving because that wasn't how I grew up. And so um, when I met Kirsten and, and, um, and was introduced to this ministry, um, I was just so moved, and I um, had the opportunity to join her, and um, it's been such a good experience being able to take all of the experiences I had before um, and the resources and the kind of the knowledge I learned over those years and be able to share them with, like, the body of Christ and, um, and help uh, the body see the vulnerable um, with a clearer lens and, and learn how to engage in that well because nonprofits can do what they do, but Jesus saves. And so what is the church doing? So um, yeah, it's a very personal thing to me, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's been a wonderful opportunity. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. So as part of our outward focus um, for this season, um, there's a couple ways we're trying to uh, engage in supporting the ministry. So what are some of the ways that we can support you guys? Yeah, so we um, kind of survey our families every year. Um, and as long as this ministry has been here, there's two answers that remain the same. Um, the first is that they, that families want babysitting. Um, because I mean, if you're going to bring a lot of kids into your home, you also need a break. Um, and there's a couple reasons why that can be hard because you have kids who, um, who have traumatic backgrounds who may have behaviors from that. Um, and so babysitting can be, it can be hard to find a babysitter or hard to find multiple babysitters if you have lots of kids. Um, and it can be expensive. And so um, one of the ways that we are asking you guys um, to just be a blessing to our families is um, donating say this right, money so that people can, basically we can um, hire babysitters for our families. Yeah, the other um, need that we just hear consistently is prayer um, and not in a cliche way. Um, our families are dealing with really hard things. And um, again, if we go back to um, who is the God that saves, like we find many of our families just on their knees um, begging for God to intervene in these hard situations. And so um, you guys actually have some prayer prompts on your table, and Holly's going to tell you how we're going to do that in a minute. Um, but it highlights just some of the areas to pray for because it's not just a foster family or a foster child or an adopted child. There's system workers, and um, there's, there's so much grieving that happens amongst the joy. And um, there's particular ways for you to pray um, because it's such a big system. And, um, and we want to make sure that you guys kind of understand, like, the vastness of that and that we're fully covering um, this in prayer. All right, I'm going to have you join me in prayer over the ministry. Father, I want to thank you for the heart and the listening that both Kirsten and Aaron have done um, in their life, drawing near to you and uh, investing not only in their own lives and their own experiences and their own stories, but following the calling on their heart to really in 
be part of the brokenness and in the brokenness to serve those who are the most vulnerable in our community. Father, we thank you for them and their leadership and their heart, and we pray over the ministry and its ability to really serve the most vulnerable in our own churches and in the communities that we serve and live in. Father, we pray for the ways that our women's ministry can really come alongside and support the foster care, kinship, and adoption ministry during this season, both to gift this kind of time and respite for families, for parents, as well as in prayer over these items and these needs of each of these families. We thank you for the gift of being able to draw near to you through the service and support of this ministry in this season. We thank you for these things in your name. Amen.